Welcome to the 12 Days of Edition Wars. In this year's series, we will be taking a deep dive into the things that we love about this game and why we love them. On this, the ninth day of Edition Wars, our DM brings to us a list of our top three favorite fantasy settings. I am Sam Dillon, and I am here with my co-host, Brandis Stoddard. How are you today, sir? I am doing well, thank you. Excellent. And so we are going to, I can't even say it with a straight face, keep this short. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know. <laughs> what, do you, what do you got for me? Strictly maybe speaking. The, maybe, maybe ours will overlap, and, and you'll just name yours, and I'll go, yeah, that's the ones, and then we'll be done. Well, so I've made no secret out of my number one favorite. Should we start with number three favorite? Is that a thing? I'm sure. I don't know. Okay. Well, um, <laughs> so I, actually I'm going to stick to just official settings mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, because once we get into third-party settings or even yeah. wider than that, it gets sort of uh, tough in a hurry. Like, well, let's face it. My favorite settings are the ones I wrote. Sure, yeah. They yeah. have only yeah. things I like. Right. So I'm a huge fan of my own setting, Orakesh. I'm a huge fan of Tribality's Vodari setting because I sure. wrote a ton of it. Mm -hmm. I right. love what we did there. Yeah. And so I'm going to kind of sk skim past that. Um, but um, I really like uh, the Eberron setting a lot. I think it has a lot to recommend it as just showing a different tone and energy in D&D. &D. Mm -hmm. um, I love a lot of what it does with secrets. And you know, the, the setting has these big questions that the setting books proceed to not answer. It, they will tell you some possible answers, but never a definite answer. And that makes me really happy. I really like that you can... like my Eberron can be completely different from your Eberron just by me coming to a different set of answers on some of those mysteries mm -hmm. and, and focusing on revealing the answers to some of them in the course of play. I think that's great. Um, I really wish that more settings would pursue that specific um, design conceit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think Eberron is really good for that. I, I, there are some elements of Eberron that I love. I love that it tries to have a, a more, um, it tries to leave the door open for a more investigative style of play. Right. Right. Um, a sort of more almost pulpy private investigator kind right. of scene going on there. They're definitely trying um, to be the intersection between pulp and noir. Right. Those are very yeah. different. Mm -hmm. In yes. terms of film, right, right. but mm -hmm. it they can come together really nicely in a game. Yeah, and and at the same time they they throw in you know this sort of steampunky type of magipunk whatever, yep. whatever you want to call it yep, with yep. like the lightning rail and 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 all of that. Uh, they have uh, you know the dragon marked houses is a very interesting idea. Um, so that's probably my number four. That's okay. probably fourth for me. So okay. that's, that's third in line for you. It's probably fourth for me. And the, really the reason why it's only fourth for me um, is because I just never ran any games in Eberron. Sure. I've, been, I've been a player in one campaign, 
uh, short, you know, 12 session campaign. Um, and it was an extreme amount of fun. It was really fun, but, uh, I just, I don't know the setting as well, maybe as, as I feel like I would have to, for it to enter into my top three. So, uh, but yeah, no, great, great setting. I don't have anything against it. I just, no, I've played in two reasonably long-term Eberron games. Mm -hmm. Mm Um, and I mean, they were both tons of fun in different ways. Yeah. Um, one was set in Sharn and then wound up exploring Zendrick for a lot of its action. Just mm-hmm. most of the campaign mm-hmm. was in Zendrick. Yeah. Um, and then the other uh, was set in Karnath. And uh, we escaped from a prison camp um, from that was left over from the last war. And uh, it was great. It was super, super fun. That was a, a fourth mm-hmm. ed game. Nice. That was also exactly how I fell in love with the fourth edition Druid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have never played a Druid in any other edition, but I like what that fourth edition Druid had going on yeah. more than any other Druid I've seen. That's nice. saying something. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So my number three yep. is Greyhawk. That's... which. Not a huge surprise. Probably I, doesn't surprise anybody. It, it might be surprising it, that it's three and not number one. That's correct. I was going to yeah. say, yeah. I, I'm, I'm surprised it's ranked that low, but all right, solid. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, it, it, the, the thing is that I, uh, hmm. So it's the formative campaign that I learned the game on. Sure. And so I think in a way it's always going to have spot in the top three i mean there were years when my brother and i had the greyhawk map pinned up to the wall you know in 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 our rooms so like you know it's um in in that way and and it taught me a lot about the game it taught me how to learn lore of a setting through playing rather than you know reading uh because i didn't run greyhawk for the longest time my brother ran greyhawk yeah uh, and so i was a player uh, and so f- for that reason, I have these really, you know, wonderful memories of it. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it is, you know, the box set is a tour de force of here's an introduction to a setting, uh, not too detailed. In fact, by today's standards, not detailed enough. But at the time, it was the perfect amount of detail for what we wanted and what we were used to. Um, and, uh, you know, it has idiosyncrasies. But uh, it also has what we were looking for at the time, which is this sort of very uh, pseudo-medieval, you know, kings and kingdoms and lands with barons and dukes. And, you know, the intrigue there, uh, it's teetering on the brink of war at all times. Uh, on the sa- at the same time, it has some large cosmopolitan cities that you can adventure in. It has uh, more humans than anything, but it, it has enough of the other races that you can actually, you know, get away with playing, you know, an elf or a dwarf or a halfling or whatever, and not be looked at funny. Um, so, you know, it, it has, it has all the elements that sort of formed what I wanted from my game at that time. And also the history and lore, it, it also is very deep even though those first couple of products were relatively short uh, over time, of course, a huge body of lore has been created. So, um, you know, it, it, 
it is very kitchen sink by today's standards, right? It has a little bit of everything. Um, but that means it has room for everything, right? There's room for a little bit of intrigue. There's room for a little bit of, of uh, weird space science fantasy tech, right? There's room for, uh, you know, political intrigue. There's room for a low magic area. There's room for all of it, um, which is a plus and a minus to some people. But so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I have no firsthand experience of Greyhawk. The most I can say is that um, reading about other people's experiences of Greyhawk is often very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, reading the actual setting material leaves me pretty cold most of the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And that is honestly just being a snooty jerk about name aesthetics. <laughs> yeah. I, I simply cannot get over uh, the kingdom of Jeff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it yeah. just makes the, you know, aesthetic parts of my brain mm-hmm. go into revolt. Yeah. Um, Right. But, you know, there's not all the names are like that, right? I mean, no, they're not. They're not. You know, and, uh, and so many of the names that are in the Forgotten Realms in terms of NPCs and spells yeah. are right from Greyhawk. Yeah, yeah. That a lot of those names that you might not you necessarily, but just you, the general you in the audience who've, who've only played in the Forgotten Realms or who've only played fifth edition, those names like Tensor and Otto and Tasha yeah. and, you know, all of those. The vast majority of those names, I can't say all because there's names like Elminster, which are Forgotten Realms, but yep. um, the vast majority of those names are directly from Greyhawk. Right. And one of the things that I've really liked about Greyhawk content in 5th edition is that they've actually done a pretty nice job of telling Tasha's story mm-hmm. um, from a couple of different like time periods of her story Mm -hmm. uh which is not super clear in its actual timeline Mm -hmm. but um yeah i mean her connection to gaza um her mm -hmm. uh connection to uh the fae like Mm -hmm. i really like what is going on with her right and so right is she the daughter of baba yaga or is she not does she have a sister she's certainly an adopted daughter maybe of baba yaga so we're good I'm just saying that maybe, right? Yeah, fair we, so we don't we don't actually know, right? So uh, so the caveat here is a lot of the lore that is 5th edition lore is not Greyhawk lore for Tasha. Sure. Right? Um that would be considered Forgotten Realms lore about Tasha whereas Greyhawk fans would tell you that's not Tasha. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> right? Um, um but, but I get what I, I understand what you're saying and I agree that but, you but know, also just her story about uh is the evil like be, mm-hmm. being the mother of is is right. cool to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um yeah. I, I'm just saying I'm just saying like um the the problem and so there there's like a benefit and a problem with Greyhawk being relatively generic, right? Or and yeah. also being sort of the first foundational setting, right? Is that because a lot of it gets moved around and put into other settings and and because they recycle those names and use those names so that they can get that familiarity, it ends up becoming almost too generic, right? Because well, what is Tasha? Is that Greyhawk Tasha or is that Forgotten Realms Tasha? Is it is it a Feywild Tasha? Is it are are those the same person? Are they different? Is that Igwilv or is it not Igwilv? Like, do we even know? So on one hand, it's like 
the fact that I can ask, do we even know is like a real boon, right? I mean, sure. like, that's freaking fantastic that we don't actually know. And what that, you know, I, so here's the thing about, and to bring this back to Greyhawk, the thing I love about Greyhawk is there's so much lore and there's such deep lore. And because I used to not like the fact that they took things and put them in the Forgotten Realms, but I actually don't mind it now. And the reason is because it, it, actually supports something that I have said for a really long time about all settings, but specifically about Greyhawk. And that is that when your PCs are talking to an NPC in a setting, and especially in a setting like Greyhawk, the NPC is an unreliable narrator. Sure. Yes. Right? They are always giving you only something from their point of view. And even if what they're saying is true from their point of view, so that they're not lying, that doesn't mean that what they're saying is actually objectively true. And, and I know that most of most GMs will agree with that, right? That's not a problem to it's that doesn't take, you know, a, a great warping of your brain to, to wrap your head around that. But the reason why that works in Greyhawk specifically is because there's so much knowledge about NPCs that are from Greyhawk in other settings in yeah. the D&D multiverse, it actually lends to the idea of, well, do we even know which one of those is the true story? Right. And as right. soon yeah. as you, as soon as you add in a little bit of um, unexpectedness or, or unreliability there, it suddenly opens up the setting so that you can do whatever the heck you want with it. Right. And it's absolutely saying, you know, decide your own canon. Stick with your own canon, but decide your own canon. Right, exactly. That, that I think is is wonderful. Yeah, and again, I as I said, I could say this about any setting. But oh, absolutely. Particularly when you have a setting that's a kitchen sink generic setting, like Greyhawk and Forgotten Realms, right? Right. The reason that those work is because you can fit anything in there. And the problem with those is that you can fit anything in there. So what is there to distinguish them from anything else? And the answer is what's there to distinguish them from anything else is what you do in your campaign. Right. And I mean, Eberron is specifically written so that anything that can fit in D and D has a place in Eberron and right. it distinguishes itself yep. by essentially saying action scenes in Eberron look different, mm -hmm. which right. is nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yep. so what's your number two? So, so my number two uh, is Planescape. Nice. Right? Yeah. And, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I, I've said many times before that I wish I'd been collecting Planescape more actively when mm -hmm. it was uh, in publication, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I've really loved Planescape. I love the video game Planescape Torment. Mm -hmm. I love Dieter Lazy's art. Um, all of these things come together to me to just really make me love the setting. I just love adventuring in the plains anyway. Yeah, uh, because they get to be you know very thematically focused and weird. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But there's a lot of other things I love about Planescape too. I mean, I love the Lady of Pain. I think her aesthetic is amazing and yep. delightful. And getting to introduce things like magic items that touch on her lore uh, make me really happy. Mm -hmm. Like um, in a in a blog post, I imagined. What if one of her blades broke off and mm. could be used as a dagger? Right. So the item was the lady's lost blade. 
So a friend of mine for his Planescape campaign in fifth ed um, liked that idea enough that not only did he take that item, but also a PC in that cam- campaign became a hex blade of the Lady of Pain. Nice. Which I <laughs> nice. thought was the coolest idea mm-hmm. ever yeah. Yeah. because she's not cool with it at all. She's completely unwilling <laughs> to be right. a patron. Mm-hmm. She, she doesn't mm-hmm. accept worship. She's not going to accept being a patron either. And so that was great. It made me really happy. <laughs> nice. Both that this was a story at all, and also that this one weird idea I had uh, sparked something for someone else. That That's the most I can really hope mm-hmm. for, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. So I just love that. Yeah. Um, you know, the f- I mean, yesterday we talked about um, all of those you know, situations where you have a different context with an NPC. Mm-hmm. And so you talk to someone you usually fight. Right. Planescape is so invested in that. Mm-hmm. That is so mm-hmm. much of its pitch. That right. is how Sigil works as a city. Because you're just walking down the street, uh, it's a pit fiend. Uh, right. Let's see if he wants a beer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. And that's great. Like it, it leans into the weirdness. And the result of that weirdness is that you talk to people you might otherwise want to fight. Right. Um, and it does a really good job of creating factions within the city of Sigil that. Yep. have specific motivations that they stick to and it gives everyone around a sort of touchstone for how to respond to those individuals right right and so you could be brawling in the street with an enemy and when the cops show up right, <laughs> right. you suddenly realize uh-oh this isn't good <laughs> We got to get out of here. Yeah, like, those are hard heads. We got to go. Yeah, exactly. Because they are going to, you know, do away with us. This will be very, very bad. Snot out of us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, like, and you I, might I even help each factions. other escape, right? Yeah. I, I love the factions because yeah. they're just, so, they're all a real philosophy taken to, you know, a, a cosmic yeah. extreme. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. None of them are really supposed to be okay, except maybe the sensates. Right. Maybe, and maybe. That, that's kind of there's it. so many twisted things that right. happen. Yeah. They're all so messed up. And um I, I think that just brings a lot of great weirdness to the setting. Um you know, it, it has in common it, it has that in common with another of my favorite game settings, mm-hmm. which is uh Alamarja for mm-hmm. Over the Edge. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. I am a lifelong fan of, of Alamarja and Over mm-hmm. the Edge. Um, so I, I just love, you know, this is a really weird city and people here are sometimes motivated by uh, really kind of totally irrational things, but you mm-hmm. still have to deal with them as if their irrational motivation is as sensible as it can be. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so that's that's a big thing. I, I love Planescape. I I started with the aesthetic and expanded to the everything else. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm still gradually accumulating more pieces in my Planescape collection. Yeah. Um, the box set that you sent me as an incredibly generous mm-hmm. gift <laughs> is still the single most important mm-hmm. piece in that collection, but. Uh, this past year, um, someone on on Twitter was 
needing to move their collection and, and liquidate that. And mm-hmm. so I got to pick it up for what was a lot of money to spend at once, but was a steal for sure. the pieces themselves yeah. because it's Planescape and getting any of it in hard copy that isn't a print on demand, but is actual original printing is right. not easy. Yeah. And pricey regardless. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. Getting it in one lot is a wonderful boon. Yeah. Very good. All right. So what's your number two? My number two is Mistara. Okay. And here's the thing about Mistara. There's no gods, but there's immortals. And so half the audience is going to, Oh, come on. They're just like gods, except that's true. Except PCs could become an immortal. Yep. Yep, yep. Uh, secondly, um, it has a hollow center with yep. an entire ecology ecosystem and set of empires inside, which is amazing. It's also somewhat of a kitchen sink uh, setting, okay, um, because of the way it was developed and all that. But uh, it has some things that are interesting about it. It has analogs to, you know, ancient Egypt. It has analogs to the Roman empire. It has analogs to lots of different um, specific areas in the world. Um, Granted, not always done with what people today might look upon as uh, a kind eye, let's say. Um, But uh, it does have a lot of interesting ways to integrate lots of different cultures and lots of different factions. Uh, And a lot of it is done well, although not all of it, but I think we can say it's safe to say that's true of every setting that's ever been produced by D and D. And it's just, it's just super fun. And because it was the, um, you know, the, the, the basic expert, it was, it was the Beck me, you know, it, it started out as the known world and then they, uh, finally, you know, named it Mistara, and um, it has, you know, all the B series modules w- w- were set in Mistara. Contrary to popular belief, B two Keep on the Borderlands is not in Greyhawk. Um, yes, it was retconned later, but uh, it's actually <laughs> in Mistara. But one of the best adventure modules of all time uh, comes from Mistara, and that is B ten Night's Dark Terror, and. It's just a fantastic tour de force of learning about the setting. And one of the things that makes it so great is that through the course of the adventure, you discover something about the setting and and the ancient peoples that lived there. And it's just fantastically done. And it was very well developed and well done. And uh, because that's where, so Greyhawk was my number three, because that's where I played. Mistara is where I DM'd. Gotcha. And so those two, they have to be on the list of top three because they are so formative in my gaming experience. If we're only talking about D&D settings, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's your number one, sir? Uh, Sam, you know. It's Birthright. (laughs) Just checking. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, So Birthright was not the first setting that I encountered or ran stuff in. It was the second, right? Uh, Forgotten Realms was the first. Mm-hmm. Um, not counting a, a homebrew setting that we can move on swiftly past and not mm-hmm. discuss based <laughs> on the fact that I was 12. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, 
I started running uh, Birthright my freshman year in high school. So I think right at the end of my freshman year in high school and ran it for uh, about two years in high school, uh, playing about once a month. That's just how the schedule worked. Um, And I mean, I I loved it. That campaign was an absolute mess. I had no idea what I was doing, (laughs) but um, the players had a great time and uh, still talk about it. So, you know, I'll take what I can get, right? Um, then in um, it, not too long after the start of the pandemic, a um, friend of the show, Greg Roth, had uh, created a fifth edition adaptation of um, the second ed birthright rules, uh, all of its domain management rules and such. And so... Rabbit and I co-GM'd a campaign for about two years um, that uh, included Greg as one of the players. So he was getting to playtest the rules he'd created mm-hmm. from the player side. Previously, he'd run games with them, mm-hmm. but it's very different to see them from a player side. Right. And seeing what works, you know, on both sides of the fence helps also having someone else need to run it. So you can figure out what you didn't explain well enough or Mm -hmm. what is just not satisfying for someone else is important. And I want to emphasize that Greg did an amazing job. It was an extraordinary amount of work. And the fact that he continued to update it and expand it as a living document uh, is probably sufficient for gaming sainthood i'm just i'm just saying <laughs> I, I i would like uh the gaming vatican to consider this uh the when, gaming vatican <laughs> yeah that's great yeah. Uh, th- well th- there's a th- there's a whole country inside lake geneva right <laughs> sure that's, that's how that works um so um that was a really great experience um we got some of the most incredible uh, just nuanced role-playing performances out of our excellent players that I've ever seen. I've been gaming with these people for decades. Um, They just brought so much to those sessions and those interactions. And um, I I miss getting to to run that campaign. Um, But um, what happened was that one of the players passed away oh, and um, we couldn't, couldn't continue yeah. and be emotionally okay. And so some campaigns don't get to come to a, a full and satisfying conclusion, but we just try to focus on the really good time we had along the way. Um, yeah. And so what I love about birthright is that it emphasizes politics. It doesn't leave out cool monster fighting. Um, but you you have a really good blend of you know, humanoid antagonists and monster antagonists. Um, you have a cool shared asset in the form of the kingdom. Um, you have you know, cool powers that come from your rulership um, 
I, I like how like, your rulership feeds your powers, your, your powers feed your adventuring. Your adventuring is still at the core of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The game I ran in high school was set in Enwir, the you know most kind of Anglo-French part of the setting. Um, then the campaign that that we ran in fifth edition was set in Kanasi, a um, sort of Turkish Arabic. We can probably get away with treating some of the domains as Armenian. Mm-hmm. Um, region that is just a ton of fun. Um, maybe the highest power region of the whole setting. Okay. In, in terms of the assets that it's willing to just throw into player hands, um, it, it kind of feels like as they were writing that they 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 still cared about the power balance, but it was just sort of yep, everything's really powerful here. This is the the epic level one. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> yep. Like there are powerful things in other places, but there there are some aspects of Kenasi that just blow the doors off it, and um, so that was great. Um, I think that the setting leads into some kinds of verisimilitude in a really nice way. Um, like the the cultures feel more like something. Mm-hmm. And, and the fact that they feel like something real world is secondary to the fact that they feel like a culture with with more nuance expressed in even a, a fairly short text than a lot of other fantasy settings I've seen. Nice. Um, so yeah, I I love Birthright, and I might run it again someday. I'm never ruling anything out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. Very cool. Yeah, Birthright is one of those I never uh, spent any time in, neither running nor playing. But um, I loved what I read. I uh-huh. mean, I, I just felt like it was such an interesting take on how to run a game of D&D yeah. and, and how to set things up and how to deal with domains and rulership and how to deal with... Um, you know, mythic level creatures and stuff like that. Um, and it was, it was just really great. I liked it. It can't be in my top three cause I never played or ran there, but sure. Yeah, sure. Definitely, sure. definitely a worthy entry for sure. Yeah. I mean, I could wax eloquent about it for a long time. And there's also a video game uh, set in birthright that was great. Um, Oh, so the only time I won uh, a a playthrough of mm. uh, of this game, I was playing as the dwarves of Baruch Azik, and it was practically a cheat code in that game because you <laughs> had a very limited number of neighbors. Ah, nice. Uh, and so you had a very small number of people you had to stay nice, nice with mm-hmm. uh, as you improved your kingdom, and that's in a lot of games of that kind. That's a, a winning approach, right? Nice. Um, yep. But like, I would say of, of Birthright that its concept is, um, you know how in first and second edition D&D, you get followers and a stronghold and a kingdom and whatever mm-hmm. at ninth mm-hmm. level. What if that's the whole game when we start at first? Right, right. 
And I think that's a really strong pitch. Yeah. Yep. And you still get to do the adventuring and the monster hunting and the, Absolutely. and all that, but yes. Yeah. 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 Um, and I, I mean, I, I've already said this, but I just love how, you know, definite article monster name changes mm-hmm. things. Right. Yeah. Like the Gorgon, yeah. the yeah. spider, mm-hmm. um, that winds up great in terms of just, oh, this is the big one. It mm-hmm. has a lot of lesser ones around it. Right. Or or not, the Gorgon doesn't have a ton of Gorgons lying around unless you think he does, whatever. <laughs> I'm not your dad. Um, but I, that really uh, tells you who matters. Mm-hmm. And I think that's right. wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. I also like that aspect of, of Birthright. It's very neat. All right. So... What's your number one, bud? My number one. Forgotten Realms. Just kidding. Yeah, I was going to say, the, <laughs> the hell you say? <laughs> I'm very well aware that's not your number one. <laughs> Forgotten Realms, Spelljammer. Nope, not Spelljammer. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, Dark Sun. Nope, not Dark Sun. Um, but I did want to mention those, right? Forgotten Realms, very popular setting. Athos, Dark Sun, very popular setting. Um, Cholt, the part of Forgotten Realms, uh, where the the uh, jungle peninsula, where a Tomb of Annihilation, very, very fun area, right? Um, so just to make the point, there's nothing wrong with these other settings. I, I don't oh, I don't no. dislike Dragonlance. I don't dislike Spelljammer. I don't dislike Athos. Like, I mean, I've run more sessions in Forgotten Realms than any other setting right. that I did not write myself. Yeah. So my favorite though is the Nintir Vale. Oh, okay. Yep. And the reason is because it still maintains a lot of that sort of generic kitchen sink style. And the reason that I like that is because it means that you can have a lot of different types of characters and PCs in there. Sure. And I like to maintain that because I think that, that means that you can have a wide range of different types of adventures in it. So that's one thing. Second thing is I like that they were brave enough to change the cosmology around that. Yeah. All of these other settings adhere to the sort of multiversal concept that D and D was going with. And uh, they, they all dealt with the planes the same basic way that the planes were dealt with since the very early days of D&D. And in the Nintir Veil, they changed it. They changed the cosmology and reformatted the way for us to think about the way that the world interacts with other planes. Yeah. And I just, I really like what they did. And I know that it was, <laughs> it offended some people, right? I know it did because they were very loud. Um, yeah. But for me, it was very refreshing and interesting how they took what we already were using and some of the similar terminology, not all the same, but similar, and they changed it into something else. And and then they worked to make it meaningful for that setting. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that was it. it it, that's part of why I like it. And, and the kitchen sink aspect of it is part of why I like it. A third reason I really like it is for, for most of its 
tenure as the setting of D&D, it was very small, roughly 150 miles by 100 miles. Until they added a bunch of stuff. In, right, but, uh, but that, was, that was much later, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for the majority of its time as the setting, it was this one valley, and there were a couple of places around it, and you knew where the capital city was somewhere to the south, and you knew there was a swamp down there, and you knew that oh, these other things. But mostly everything that was happening was within 100 miles of you. I actually really like a, a tight focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Because it's easy to adventure in and it's easy to keep things at a particular scale when you're doing that, right? Yep. So I really, I really like that. And the last reason, the, 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 well, not last reason, but one another reason why I really like it is I think that um, the uh, the setting itself, even though it's very generic, it has some some really sort of interesting ways to bring in things that were never the typical thing in previous settings, right? For example, tieflings. I know they existed in third edition. I know they existed in second edition. In fact, mm-hmm. they're in Planescape. That's where they were introduced, right? Yes. But to make them not only a relatively common race right for for pcs but also to say oh and by the way they have a whole empire mm-hmm. that ha- has is is in ruins now and oh by the way the dragonborn yeah they also have a whole empire right so yep. there's that the last the last reason that i really and this is probably the thing that makes it for me is that the nintir vale to me was very similar to greyhawk and mistara for me because from the very beginning, we knew nothing about it. All we knew was what was in the DMG and the player's handbook. Yep. And we started playing in that setting, right? And then a couple more books would get released and we'd learn a little bit more. But we were playing in that setting every week. So we learned about the setting through playing it. And that ends up... You know, I wasn't thinking about this back then in 2008, 2009, but that tends to be the thing that makes the setting for me, right, is how I interact with it in the gameplay, whether I'm a player or the or the DM, right? It doesn't matter. It's me learning it to either run it for the players or learning it as I'm playing because I'm a player. And yeah. that is what the game is to me, right? And partly because we didn't know anything about the Ninterveil at the beginning. It also had a lot of homebrew elements, right? Because of course you had to make some stuff up because we just didn't know. And that's kind of what makes Greyhawk for me, right? Is that a lot of the things that I know about Greyhawk or at least knew about them early on before the big giant lore explosion was the stuff my brother made up when he was running us through Mm. because there wasn't very much information at that point in time, way back in, you know, 1983. Right. So, and, and that's the same, you know, I I sort of had these almost deja vu like moments when I was learning about the Ninterveil and running people through the Ninterveil and playing in games in the Ninterveil because we knew nothing. And we were, so we were partly making it up and partly going by just the little teasers that they were giving us. And that makes for such organic lore and gameplay that it just feels really right to me. So, uh, 
I, I, I do actually like Ninja Vale a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, played in well, sorry, I, I ran a game in only briefly and played mm-hmm. in it at about the same time, also briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, what I really like about it is that you can go through all of your fourth edition books and get additional bits and pieces of lore mm-hmm. out of things like Paragon Paths. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that is, you know, really connecting the content to the world in a way that I'm, I'm just bound to like. Right. Right. Um, right. And um, you can make a lot of those Paragon Paths and Epic Destinies and such work for other settings, mm-hmm. but you're ignoring a lot of their, their lore to get there. At right. least the ones that that really engage with lore, not all of them mm-hmm. do, mm-hmm. right? There's sure. there's plenty that like the pit fighter is pretty generic. I'm not gonna mm-hmm. like I'm making sure, bones sure. about that. Yeah, but I love the ones where they dig a little deeper and establish some lore around the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but Beltoroth is awesome. Um, it's it's really really cool as yeah. an idea. Um, well, there's also the the far realms, like the stars being. Uh-huh. Oh, Far realms entities. Anyone who's read my blog knows what a fan I am of the malevolent stars. Yep. yep. Huge, huge fan of that whole idea. Yep. And that has seeped in appropriately, one feels, more mm-hmm. and more to fifth edition. Yep. Um they were they were canon as at least existing pretty early, and they've picked up a few more references here and there mm-hmm. over the years. Um and um, really, I, I just want to have a campaign get into some Spelljammer content so that the Malevolent Stars can be a problem that you can you know, mm-hmm. fly to right. and do something about. Yeah. There's Don't two do other- that. That's a terrible idea. You should not <laughs> fly to the Malevolent Stars. <laughs> there's, there's Surgeon two General's other- warning. <laughs> there's two other things I forgot to mention about an intervail that I greatly love. Yeah. One of them is the Raven Queen. Oh, for sure. And one of them is Torog. What an what an instant fan, an uh, instant hit with the fans. Yeah, uh, the t- Raven the t- Queen. Two new deities introduced in fourth edition. One of them we've never heard from again, yep. and one of them has become a fan favorite. Yep. Um, and while they've changed her lore pretty significantly in fifth oh, edition, yeah. she's still there. Right. I, I I particularly like her Nintervale lore better, of course, because it's one of my favorite settings, but. Uh, but they at least are are doing something interesting with her and leaving her in. Whereas Torog, they've basically let drop off the map. Um, unless well, you're, well, right, you know. and like her lore for Forgotten Realms and the rest of the sort of cosmos, mm-hmm. in a sense, shouldn't be identical. Right. Right. In uh, in a way, sure, I, I get that because it's in a that, different cosmos. That's their whole idea of sure. multiverse. Right. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, but yeah, yeah, I get that. But you know, when, when they present uh, lore about her, say in in uh, in Morden Canaan's mm-hmm. book, right, uh, Tome of Foes, um, and I guess in the multiverse too. But uh, in, in you know, they present it as okay. Well, this is the lore 
of the multiverse about her. So that applies to the Forgotten Realms, and it applies to Athos, if anybody in Athos has heard of her, and it applies to anyone in a Spelljammer, and it oh. applies to you know anyone on any planet that is part of the D&D multiverse. Well, she can't be a god if anyone in Athos has heard of her. Well, I'm, I'm just saying, like, I, I'm just saying in terms of the multiversal idea, right? But the thing is that the Nintir Veil is in a different cosmology. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, right. Yeah. 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 yeah it, it's. It's, it's hard. Some of it is <laughs> a difference of perspective. Mm-hmm. Sure. And some of it isn't. And it can't be resolved as just a difference of perspective. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like, no, I agree. Is this, you know, are these divine domains in the astral or are they in, I don't know, uh, the upper planes? Yeah. Well, you might need to decide that, especially if players can just go there. Yeah. And ship. it's, yeah. And it's not a matter of, oh, we just call that a different name. No, no. It's not right. that easy. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's not resolved that quite that easy, but yeah. But yeah, so that's my that's my three. Okay, that's a that's a solid three, um, and uh, that definitely <laughs> that definitely <laughs> is what I would have uh, guessed if I thought about our conversations mm-hmm. over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. H- hard to say where I would have ranked them for you relative to each other, but definitely those three are the ones I know you love. Yeah. Yeah, and and I you know I I knew Birthright was your number one, yeah. uh, and I knew that Planescape was probably in the top three. Yep. I wasn't sure what your what your other one was going to be. Um, um, well, so you know, as I say, I've run more Forgotten Realms. Uh, mm-hmm. I also have a lot of problems with just the realms of the setting, so right, sure. I'm always going to feel a little torn about that one. Um, I really want to run a like plane hopping campaign that focuses on the magic the gathering settings mm, interesting okay yeah. that would be a lot of fun to me because yeah. they are so different um I, I pitched that at one point to my players but um you know there were also some other really strong pitches in that list and so they they went with yeah. something else um, so let's see what which one so ravnica theros uh, right. Strixhaven. Uh huh. What else? Well, what am I missing? Is, is, is I that all work, that's been I, released for fifth edition? I can work without a published book. No, no, I know, but I, I'm just. But, I'm, but also, um, uh, they do have those those little ones, right? right. Uh, the, like James they have, they, did the, yeah, the they did, shifts. Yeah, Amonkhet uh, for and, uh, Amonkhet and Innistrad. Zendikar, yeah, and right, exactly, yeah. um, and so. Honestly, that's a pretty good start. Yeah, that is. You're, that you're is, getting somewhere with yeah. with, with six. Yeah, right? yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, sure. And I feel like um, there's enough lore out there on the internet for people who are uh, reading all the fiction and you know engaging with it mm-hmm. um, to really support a bunch of the other uh, magic settings also like sure. um, of course there'd be something to do with phyrexia of course there's something to do with um dominaria like right th- there's there's tons and tons written about those as magic is uh, goodness that's 30 years that's right. an uncomfortable thought <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. See, I I only played Magic for about one year around 1998. Yeah. Uh, and then I got out of it, and I never went back. Um, uh, but I I like Amonkhet because I like the uh, Pharaoh Egyptian pseudo Egypt right aesthetic because and, I uh, I'm I'm not gonna lie I'd wind up running something with some of those early Magic sets mm-hmm. that really got the hooks in my imagination. Yeah. Um, yeah. Things where we didn't even learn the name of the plane because they weren't thinking about planes that way at the time. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 No, I just, I, I like the aesthetic of the, I, I have a, that has been brewing in the back of my head for a very long time, a, a desert um, Pharaoh based campaign nice yeah uh that i ha- that i haven't run i it's it's one of the only uh types of campaigns i have not run i've run an underwater campaign i've run an above water campaign i've run a i've run a pirating campaign i've run a mountain campaign i've run you know standard you know fantasy campaigns i've, I've run the ice you know I, I ran frost maiden so i ran the you know on a glacier campaign uh and does the desert one i mean i've run a couple of adventures right like i ran x4 and x5 uh uh, master of the desert nomads and temple of death way back when because the x series of course is in mistara right um but i i've never ran an actual full campaign of hey here's like you know tombs and pharaohs and ancient curses and traps and like all of that and so amonkhet <laughs> when he when he did when he released the amonkhet uh D crossover pdf yeah i consumed that thing very quickly because uh it was like ooh, maybe this is one of the th- ways i can get that desert campaign going you know yeah nice yeah so. um like it, fallen empires what a what a mm. mm-hmm. like what a place that held in my imagination uh, when yeah. that was coming out. Not everyone's uh, like magic set of choice, mm-hmm. right? But right. that's okay. Uh, not everyone was the exact age I was at that time. Strangely, right? Yeah, I mean, and that's that's the thing. That's one of the things I keep stressing. You know, also about my choices of of the you know my favorite campaign settings is that a lot of it doesn't have to do actually with mechanics or the facts of the world necessarily it's more about what i was doing and how much fun i had in the game and how i was how it was forming me in life right as i was going through those campaign settings yeah for sure it's not about oh those those are the best most well designed like you know you know, this is a completely, uh, you know, this is about what we enjoy, not about what's the best or the worst. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So on that note, do you have any final thoughts? Um, well, I'll tell you, I'm really looking forward to um, the fifth edition release of Planescape. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I've always been sad that uh, the third and fourth didn't, engage with Planescape and Sigil more. Yeah. They would often like, name check it and then mm-hmm. call it a day. I mean, the DMG2 had 
it was spelled out. Right? It, it was it was some content, but still mm-hmm. pretty light. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean they had the they had the plane below, the plane above, manual the planes, the DMG two, right? But and the di- elemental chaos book, but but, but, but none saying, of those, but like, none of those really. Right. Was a, like a planescape type book. Right. right? But, but it, as you're saying yeah. about Nintir Veil, it also changed the cosmology enough. Right. Yes. Yeah. It couldn't be planescape. Right. Right. Not yeah. not in the way that. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Well, that's why I'm pointing out. Structurally though, that, matters. Yeah. It, they, they had all these books. Right. And they mid, they mentioned Sigil and they mentioned the City of Brass also in the DMGs and in the Manual of the Planes and all that. But because the cosmology was different, they didn't really focus on those in the same way that they would if they yeah. were actually going to make a planescape or plane focused campaign the their focus for the planar relationships in fourth edition were the Shadowfell and the feywild and the other stuff the plane above and the plane below got their own books but they weren't planescape style books right they they were different because because they had changed it all the great books don't get me wrong the plane above is a fantastic oh i am such a fan of yeah huge great that whole era of Mm fourth ed releases they're so good right yeah but they weren't a planescape not in the way that you're meaning it so yeah no yeah. i agree i agree uh i think they do present a a very compelling planar campaign mm-hmm. and, and model but mm-hmm. it's not the same thing yeah yeah for sure yep but no i think that will uh they'll wrap it for me excellent me too well audience we hope you and en- you're enjoying this series uh, I know I'm enjoying talking about this stuff um, and uh, we hope you're having a good holiday and we will see you tomorrow. Tomorrow we will be discussing our top three favorite settings in non-fantasy genres. Dun, dun, dun. Which also means non-D&D. <laughs> Non-D&D <does> published. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that is going to wrap us up for this episode. Okay. Where can people find you on the internet? Uh, well, uh, you can find me for now on Twitter at Brenda Stoddard, and then I'm on Mastodon um, at Brenda Stoddard at Dice.Camp. Uh, I also write for Tribality.com, and my personal blog is BrendaStoddard.com. Finally, if you'd like to support my writing, my Patreon is Brenda Stoddard. How about you, Sam? Uh, you can find me on rpgmusings.com. You can also find me. I'm on Twitter at DM Samuel. And then I'm also on Mastodon at DM Samuel at dice.camp. And, uh, I am also on the Tome Show Discord, which I, if you want to join that thing, pop me a message and we'll, we'll get you on there. Have a good holiday, folks. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs>